All right, I'm going to talk about Pentecost. Acts 2, I will read it out um, just to save time. But grab your Bibles on your, on your seats if you have them. Uh, so Pentecost was 50 days, Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. Passover is where everything at the cross happened. Um, uh, 50 days after that, Jesus, after he's risen, promises his Holy Spirit. You can read about that in John 15, and he promises his advocate, helper to be with his uh, followers. And this in Pentecost is the fulfillment of that. This is it coming to pass. We talk about a promise-keeping God. He is a promise-keeping God, and this is part of that. And so let me read out Acts 2, 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing, that was Jerusalem, by the way. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came to get together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Okay, so this takes place, and straight after it, you've got Peter's famous sermon. I don't have time to read it, but do go away and read it yourselves if you would like to. And then we get that fellowship of the believers bit where they all gathered together, and they broke bread, and they shared possessions, and all of that, the birth of the church. So the pouring out of the Spirit and the birth of the church is what we're talking about. As I said, anniversaries are important for remembering and looking back, but also for renewing and realizing this is our story. This is our story, and we are the continuation of it, be being filled with the same Holy Spirit. This, operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, is how Jesus operated. And we are little Jesuses. We are Christians. We are uh, Jesus continued on the earth, right? This is how Jesus operated. Luke 4, 1. Jesus, just let this ring in your ears. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. And that's when he was led out into the wilderness. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, led out into the wilderness. A little bit later, as he comes back from the wilderness, Luke 4, 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus operated. This is how Jesus was fruitful in the world. And we are invited to walk in the same way as Jesus. The best description I found from a theologian around uh, the Holy Spirit is from a guy called Gordon Fee, and he simply says this, uh, the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. God's empowering presence. So this means three things for me. God gives himself. I often think we can slip into this idea that the Holy Spirit is a like a superpower external to God, that he sort of gives us this power, this 
energy, this force or whatever, and then we can use that in our lives, that energy, that force in our lives. This is, this is not what's going on. It is God, he gives himself to us. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he doesn't give us a superpower. He doesn't give us an energy. He gives us himself. This is so important to grasp because if we think of it as a force and an energy, which essentially like, we'll, we'll just turn it on. You know, we'll just turn it for a start. We say it, turn it on. It's like, oh, it's not working. It's like, it's not working. I, I, I needed to be patient and it didn't work. Or I prayed for that person and it didn't work. Like, why is this force, this superpower that Jesus had not working in my life? And it's because we were given not a superpower, but a relationship. We were given him self. And so we are, it is part of our role as Christians to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I remember being on, um, I was 18, let's say, for the sake of the story, because my parents are in the room. Uh, and, uh, and I was sat on the side of, a, of an A road in East Devon somewhere with a small, mum, small bottle of cider. Uh, a small bottle of, of, of Strongbow. Uh, and it was a really interesting night for me. It, it changed a lot for me. It was because I was talking to a friend. We both knew each other. We were going to church. Uh, sort of going to church and uh, vaguely aware of that. Um, but we, he, he just opened up this conversation uh, and he said to me, not doing well with God at the moment, I'm reading, I'm not really praying, not doing any of this sort of stuff. And I was like, okay, well, it's, you know, it's just church on a Sunday, isn't it? Um, and, uh, and, and then he said these three words that really genuinely changed the trajectory of my spiritual life. And he said, and I miss him. We sat on the side, probably a Friday night, with a bottle of cider in our hands, and we're talking about what I thought was church and religion, and he said, and I miss him. I just did not understand what he meant. I didn't understand what he meant. And so I left that night basically thinking, like, I went on a, on a year, the next summer I went off to Soul Survivor, and, and lots changed then. But I spent that year determined to figure out what on earth he meant by I miss him. How could God be missable? I thought it was religion. He obviously had a relationship. And I have discovered that Ben at the time, uh, he ended up becoming Captain James on Argyle, uh, if you've ever seen Argyle on the BBC. Um, uh, and uh, he... He had a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was facilitating a relationship with Jesus that I simply didn't have. Uh, and I went on a, on a journey then of, of trying to find a God that was missable. And I think so much of our time we can be in the category of rules. and uh, We can be in the category of I need this to happen in my life rather than in the mode, this way of life that is relationship that the Holy Spirit is so central to enabling. And so Gordon Fee says the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. That means it's himself. He's giving us himself. Uh, and that means he's in us and with us everywhere we go. And I can't read all of the scriptures around this. But this means that God himself is making a home in us. Uh, it means he is always with us everywhere we go in every situation we find ourselves in. Bottle of cider in hand or otherwise. Uh, shattering fear means we don't need to have fear because he is with us, giving us courage, enabling life and transformation. 
He is himself in us and with us. One of the dominant uh, words for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is paraclete, which was a nautical word for a boat that came alongside, a small tug that would come alongside a big ship or a ship that was in trouble and would tow it back to harbor. I've talked about that lots before here. But this is one of the primary ways that they try to describe. You know that ship that goes out and gets all the struggling ships and ties itself up and tethers itself to it and drags it back to safety, to home? That's what the work of the Holy Spirit is like in our lives. He is with us everywhere we go. Do not be afraid. Be very courageous. The Lord your God is with you. Surely I am with you to the very end of the age. One of the primary aspects of the Holy Spirit. He is in us and with us every single, everywhere we go. So he's himself and he's in us and with us and he gives us his power. We've been studying Ephesians and Ephesians 1, we talk about his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. He, he wonderfully puts himself in us to be with us wherever we go, enabling just fruit all of the time as we participate, as we build a relationship, as we say yes, as we listen, as we make room and give over more of our heart and our mind to the Holy Spirit. He becomes increasingly fruitful in our lives from, from seemingly undramatic things like being patient or kind or gentle or any of the other things in that list and being generous and sacrificial with how we live our lives. The Holy Spirit, put your name in that sentence. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, went into temptation and difficulty. Uh, he came out in the power of the Spirit to do wonderful miracles uh, and to preach. And this is the other side of it. it the, the Holy Spirit helps us be gentle and patient and sacrificial and all of those things, but also he helps us uh, with manifest gifts of prophecy and of healing and so forth. He makes us fruitful in the world. The vision we have here at St. Basil's will only ever come to pass if we are people of the Spirit. It's the only way it's going to happen. What else, as Moses cried, distinguishes us from everyone else on the face of the planet? Let us not go forward one step further into this promised land. No, no further unless we are marked out by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God himself in us, with us. Not a power we wield, but a relationship with the Holy Spirit that marks us out as different in the world and makes us fruitful. The best story I, I have for describing this, I've, I think I told it once more here, once before here, um, is, is a, a story that I was told afterwards I should be more pastoral with and share um, that my son Kit survived. Uh, so that's the just to give you the pastoral heads up. Um, I once told this story several years ago at KXE and several months later I was at Wildfires Festival, a festival, and someone genuinely came up to me and like, um, said sorry because they thought that he had passed away. He, had, he does not in the story. Is that okay? For those who need it, all right. It were, uh, Kit is, my, is, our, is our middle child, and um, he, well, I was once about midnight, I was going out to bed, Anna was asleep, he was less than one. And uh, as I was coming up the stairs, you sort of get used to the noises in a house, it's just a weird thing, and, um, and I was like, there's just something different as I was coming up the stairs. And as I was coming up the stairs, got into, into the bedroom, got into bed, um, the other side, uh, Kit was on this side, there was Anna, and then there was me. And uh, I was like, something, something isn't right. 
And so I just tapped Anna on the shoulder, woke her up, and I said, can you just check it? I don't, it, she, it doesn't see, like something's a bit strange. Uh, and um, turned on the lamp, and I'll never forget what I saw, which is that Anna picked up Kit, and he was just rigid, eyes wide open, um, not blinking, just wide open, and he was just, yeah, rigid and was foaming from the mouth and was a sort of gray, bluey color. Um, and it was just one of those, it was just one of those moments, it just never leaves you. And, um, and basically did all the things wrong, <laughs> but like tried putting the finger in the mouth to try and like, is, this, is he choking? You know, there's a moment as parents, you're like, are they choking? Or are they like, oh, you know, it's like, oh no, he, he's, he's really choking. So tried to get something out of the mouth, which he shouldn't do. Uh, but um, he had his, 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 his teeth were clenched together. They were just, you couldn't get your finger in there at all and they're just rigid. Uh, and so at this point, um, it was just like, the worst thing is happening. The worst possible thing is happening. Um, and, uh, and so Anna just bolts out of bed, it's about midnight, and she just runs out into the street and just screams like for a doctor, just screams for a doctor in the street. I grab Kit and I'm, I'm sort of looking at him, and we, I walk downstairs. He goes limp in my arms, his, his eyes roll back at the back of his head. He's gone completely blue, um, not breathing at all. Uh, and basically, I remember carrying him, coming down the stairs and carrying him over the threshold into um, our sitting room where the light was on, really. And I remember just looking at him and thinking that he, that he had died. That was what I thought had happened in this moment. Uh, and I remember just lying him on the floor. And as I crossed that threshold, I was just thinking so clearly two things. One, I just remember feeling this most focused love I've ever felt in my life. It was just this sense of like, you are perfect. I love you so much. Like you were not, you are not meant to die. You are perfect. I love you. You're beautiful. You, I just felt this focused love. I just never experienced anything like it. Uh, and, and, and I also remember thinking like, you're not breathing and you're dying. And, and I remember just lying on the floor and just thinking like, I, ha I have what you need. You, you don't have breath in your body. I don't know whether there's an ambulance coming. I don't know whether a doctor is coming, but I know you're not breathing, I, and, and it feels like you're dead. And so I basically um, gave him mouth to mouth, and I was just, I didn't know what I was doing. I, mean, I did it all wrong, I'm sure, but it was basically ha mouth over nose and, and his mouth and just was breathing into his body. I never remember that feeling of, the, of, of his body, which is just still and lifeless, just raising with each breath that I breathed into him. Uh, and did this for five minutes, and uh, and then just as the blue lights of the ambulance appeared out, outside, Kit just opened his eyes and just looked at me and then started breathing himself. And I just remember it being the most overwhelming experience of my life to, to, that, to that point. The reason I tell that story is that it's the best story it's the thing that has most helped me understand what is going on as the Spirit is poured out and, as, and the work of the Spirit in, in our lives. Because I believe, that as I looked upon my dying child in that moment, I felt this focused love and a sense that I have, I have what you need. The breath in me can be in you and I can keep you alive. And I really feel like this is like an image for how God looks down upon us. And he looks down upon us and he sees us dying. He sees us dying because we don't 
like ourselves. We look in the mirror and feel hatred towards each other and, and our, our own self. We speak badly of one another. We aren't generous and we don't share. And this whole fabric of human society is falling apart. And I believe he doesn't look down upon us and say, sort yourselves out. Get better. Deal with it. I've told you what to do. Now just go and do it. No, he looks down upon us as dying children, so to speak, with focused love of a father. He looks down upon us and, and says, no, you weren't made for that. You weren't made for the life that you are living right now. You were made for more. You are not meant to live like that. And and I believe that he also then breathes his spirit into us. He uh, He has what we need his Holy Spirit, to be able to live the life that he wants us to lead. And this word, breath, is, is the dominant, um, paraclete would be the New Testament dominant word, but the ruach would be the Old Testament Hebrew word for breath. That is the most dominant understanding of the Holy Spirit. From Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. His breath is what animated him, much like it was with Kit that night. And then fast forward all the way through, and there's many more examples, but you get yourself to the New Testament, the upper room just after Jesus is raised. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them, said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. God looks at you with focused fatherly love and longs for you to be transformed, longs for you to live in the life uh, that he has called you to. And so he puts his breath, his ruach in you. He animates your very being, and that is available to you every single day of your life. There's a story in Ezekiel that I just want to read to you. The Valley of Dry Bones, you'll be familiar with it, I'm sure. We've just been singing. I find it actually really hard to sing that song. Abby knows that, so it's cruel. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, I, it is your breath in our lungs. Like, I cannot help but see me breathing into Kit at that moment. But it is a beautiful image for me to remember what Jesus does for us. But in Ezekiel 37, uh, we, we have this story of the Valley of Dry Bones. Uh, and it, let me just read this out. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. 
Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. What a picture to hold on to this day of the breath of God being breathed onto dislocated, dry bones. And I don't know where you are at right now. That question, can these bones live, should ring in our ears today. As a question for ourselves, so ask yourself right now, like, do you feel like dry bones? Do you feel disconnected and all of that? Do you feel like maybe, you know, because of your personality, maybe God can't use you because of your mistakes, you can't be used. Because of your history, you can't be used. No good for God. Well, today, I believe you would say, you'd ask you that question, can these bones live for yourself? I wonder what your answer is. The answer that we are told is that he will breathe upon those dry bones and you will live. You will live. So wherever you are today and you answer, well, however you answer that question about your own life, please know that if, with God's breath in you, these bones can live. When you think about situations and others around you rather than just yourself, and you think about maybe situations that look relatively hopeless and unchanging and difficult, do you look upon them and, ask, and, and God would ask you, can, can those bones live? Can those bones live? The answer is yes, with the breath of God breathed upon them. What I am praying for us as a community today and ongoing is that we would hear the sound of rattling. We would hear the sound of rattling in this church, of bones coming together, however dry they might be, however dislocated they might be, and apart and broken they might be. As we focus on being a people who say yes to the Holy Spirit's work in our life, I believe we will hear the sound of rattling as unity forms. As forgiveness begins to flow from us, that's the sound of rattling. As hope rises again among us, as we become and learn how to love one another and the world around us, that's the sound of rattling. Look at us, we are a rough bunch in many ways. And, and we have some skills, but we also have so many flaws. But with the breath of God in us as a church, we will hear the sound of rattling and we can stand as that vast army in this place at this time to be the church that God is calling us to be. I don't have time for the rest. So let me just land with the last, with the, with the last picture from Ezekiel, which comes 10 chapters later in, in 47. And it is the story of a river flowing from the temple of God. A river of life flowing from the temple, the presence of God down towards the Dead Sea. Dead Sea, high salt level, no life in it. Uh, and this is the picture I want us to just land with. Ezekiel 47. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. And then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. 
He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then it goes on, I don't have time to read it all. This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will, be, will live wherever this river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh, so, oh, sorry, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the river, the shore, from Engedi to En Eglame. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Do you get the picture? There's, this, there's the temple, the presence of God, and this river flowing down to a dead sea where there is no life. And yet, as it is with the kingdom of God, when Jesus touches someone with leprosy, he doesn't get it, he, he cures them. And, and as this river flo flows down to the dead sea, it comes alive, so much so that fishermen are fishing on the, water, on the banks of it. But what I wanted to finish on is just this little picture of the ankle deep the knee deep, the waist deep, and then full on swimming. And it's just so interesting to me that that'll probably mark out various stages of people in this room as it comes to life in the spirit. Maybe ankle deep, maybe knee deep, maybe waist deep, and then there's full scale in the river over our heads. It's a flowing river of life. And when it's ankle deep, we can, and knee deep and waist deep, we can keep a hold of control, right? We can keep a hold of control. We can stand on our own strength and all of that sort of stuff. But life in the spirit, the direction of travel that we all can try and make our way down is from ankle to knee to waist to fully swimming in the river. And at that point, we are swept with that river down to the Dead Sea, out into the world where we can participate in the renewal of all things, where we can join in with the mission God is having in the world to see fishermen fishing on the banks of rivers and seas that were once dead. And so I'd ask you today, do you feel like the dry bones? Do you feel like dislocated bones? Do you feel not much use in the kingdom of God? Do you discount yourself essentially from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you try and retain control, stay at ankle, knee, or even waist deep, where you still ultimately can direct the course of your life? Do you make the space and the time in your day to be someone who goes on being filled with the Spirit, jumping into a river that's fully flowing, that leads you to the last, the least, and the lost? That is the invitation for us this Pentecost Sunday, to be people who jump in fully into the life and work of the Spirit in our lives. Should we stand quickly at this point?